everyone, and what is up? I am Daryl Smart, and welcome to Smart Sports Podcast. This week, we have two trailblazers on the podcast. John McDonald and Jim Merrick were two inductees of the recent Norfolk County Sports Hall of Recognition ceremony. These two played football at SCS, McGill University, and in the CFL. But more than that, they carved a path for so many local football players and are mentors, just not on the football field. Well, thanks for doing this, guys. I really appreciate it. No problem. So, uh, our pleasure. So, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you had this induction, and has it really sunk in yet? Go ahead, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like it's funny. Yes, uh, I was driving up to Ottawa the very night, you know, of the induction, and I had a lot of time to think about it. And um, and uh, you know, the sinking in part, I don't know. I don't know if it's sunk in, but like I had a lot of time to think about just you know all the people that have gone in, uh, the group of people that went in with John and I, and uh, you know there's 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 not that many when you really think about it. I think there's something like seventy now total. So yeah, it's not just at all. Crazy, right? It's like you know it's like a Wayne's World moment where I'm like I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of those thoughts. See, I'm the opposite. I mean, uh, I thought about it like I I, I knew that that. It was it was going to happen eventually in my mind. Like I mean, Jim and I worked so hard, and the only thing that that really, the only thing that it was was a matter of time. I thought because you know, agreed. Football is football's taken off, right? I mean, fo- football. We've had a lot of players have a lot of success, and and Jimmy and I were a couple of the early ones. So, I mean, it was just a matter of time before it sort of caught up with us. Yeah. And, uh, so. And now, now, what I've really thought of since the induction is, who's next? That's yeah. what I've thought of, right? That's pretty cool. And uh, in thinking about it, you know, we know definitely Bergman, you know, definitely a guy like Austin Pastor. I mean, those guys are, I mean, forget about, like, what Jim and I did. Look what those two have done. One played in the NFL, one's a two-time Great Cup champion. Like, I mean, those are powerful kids. Yeah. It's a, unbelievable. It's got to be pretty cool to see that, and uh, like later on, I might as well go go about it now and just talk about that kind of legacy that you guys have had. Like I remember back in the day, like uh, in my reformer days, and I'm following you guys around at McGill, and and then the CFL draft and stuff like that. And John had his uh, CFL notebook that we we had a fun time with. But like, did you ever think that you guys and all your hard work? And you would see results like this from other kids. We worked hard, man. There's a lot of. You say that. Go ahead, Jaguar. No, I was just gonna say, like, you say hard work, but I don't know if people really understand what goes into the hard work, right? Like, we're talking. You're training daily. You're watching film daily, like numerous times a day. You're practicing let alone the games and, and being successful in the games, all the lead up, like it's an incredible amount of time and effort that goes into it. And it, it, you got to be willing to, to, to put, put the time in. You got to be willing to, to take your lumps and, and you know, like you're going to have moments where you suck. Like I, I had moments where I wanted to quit football. Yeah. Right. But you got to keep grinding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. That's true. You know, I did. I, I wanted to quit football. There were times I, I was like, I am done. I know, I know. <laughs> but in but in hindsight, you know, when you, when you put in all that work and, and when you're going through it, it, it there's to me, I, I maybe the gym, for Jim there might have been a goal of the CFL, but I never had that. I just kind of thought, you know, I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to tick all the boxes. I'm going to do, 
everything that I can to, to make the team better. But then about second and third or fourth year university, then I know when you know playing against Jimmy and playing against guys who played in the CFL and us sort of Jim and I doing well against them, mm-hmm. it sort of became something like, well, maybe this could happen. Take it day by day and see what goes on, what happens from there. So, I mean, that, I mean, the Hall of Fame part, the Hall of Recognition is just an afterthought. Like, to me, this was sort of the last moment where we said, you know what? Yeah, it happened. That was it. It happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes you think about it, right? And you know, Jim and I being teachers, we're, we're busy in the same way right now. Yeah. We don't, we don't stop, right? Well, exactly. So, this whole thing just jumped up on me. I'm like... Two weeks ago, it's like, oh, yeah, we got the induction this weekend. Oh, yeah, that's happening. I kind of forgot about that. I don't know about Jim, but that's the way it was. Yeah. When you guys, when you guys, got, the, when you guys got the call uh, a while back just saying that the, it was, well, like you said, it was almost a formality that you guys would eventually get in. But when you finally got the call, what was good, what went through your minds? It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. No, no. You know what? Like for for me, um, because you have to you have to go through an application process, right? And you have to submit some things. And that for me was a reflective place where I was really kind of looking back on my career leading up to it. When they said, you you know, like you've been, you know, we're gonna take your nomination. There's an application process. You have to submit X, Y, and Z, and you have to have letters of people that have uh, played with you, coached with you. Like that whole process for me was amazing, right? Like it was like, holy crap, we, we did a lot of stuff, you know, like we did well, you know, first team all Canadians or all Canadian and, you know, first, uh, first round draft picks. Like, I, I don't know about John, but that whole piece is pretty amazing. And then to get the call, right? Like it, it, it was, it was pretty amazing. Mark Thorkamp gave me a call and I got goosebumps. I was actually at a, at a conference up in Niagara on the lake and I, I was like, here we go, man. This is, this is it. This is kind of the culmination of, of my efforts and, yeah, um, I was super happy, man. I was kind of taken aback because uh, Jim and I were nominated at the same time, so yeah. our, our our inductions were separate. And the first thing I thought was like, oh, "Okay, that's cool. I'm going in." And I was hoping that Jim would be right there with me. Yeah. And it turns out the next year, we, when I got the phone call that Mark phoned me right after he phoned Jim, he goes, uh, "Yeah, Jimmy's in with you." And that, I think that was kind of their plan, right? Just to have us to have us sort of together. Yeah. Uh, so I was ex- I was immediately like I was more excited that Jim and I were going in together than than for my own induction because you know we've been how often do you have a, a a couple of guys who played high school and university and pro together like that's just so special. Well, I was I was going to get into that like it's when you guys first started. Uh, what grade did you guys first start at SES? Did you guys both pl- start in grade nine playing? Um, I started in grade ten. Jim, when did you start? Well, I came out in grade nine and got beat up pretty good, and I thought, well, I'm going to get myself here, and I came out in grade 10 as well, yeah. Yeah. I think I was in grade 12, so I played two years for Jim in high school. Yeah. And I remember him, and he started in grade, uh, when I was in grade 12, and um, he um, he was tight end beside me. We didn't throw the ball much, but he played right beside me on the line. and A lot of blocking was, together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like... And I, I remember uh, Abby or Morgan or somebody told me Jim was starting, and uh, this little skinny kid beside me, I didn't know who he was. <laughs> Jimmy would say, I don't know, John, this guy's pretty big beside me. I was like, Merrick, let's just go get this done, buddy. We're going to be fine. 
keeping in mind, man, that some of those guys are grade 15. I and, know, yeah, uh, yeah. Belly Heights had some, like, six foot six, <laughs> two, you know, 290-pound kids back in the day, and I was like, holy crap, man. <laughs> well, though, I think. <laughs> yeah, Jim did great. And then, well, it, a little bit of encouragement from the big guy beside him. Of course, I was pushing about 270 at that time. But, well, <laughs> but anyways, um, and then two years, I remember I was working in Pizza Delight, and it was my first year at McGill, and Jim shows up at Pizza Delight. Remember that, Jim? Yeah, and I look at this kid, and he's a monster now. I'm going, oh my god, <laughs> you're huge, jeez. This little little skinny faced kid who played tight end next to me was like pushing 250, and I thought, oh my god, like wow, look at this. He wants to play. Uh, it was it was really neat to sort of see him go from that little skinny kid to a big guy playing with the Bisons and. And then to come in at McGill and, and play the same position because Jim started as a D lineman, so that, that, that it was a ton of fun in hindsight, pretty special. That's pretty cool. And then who the shows up one day? Ty <laughs> cats up practicing. Here's this little face pops in the door. Hey, like what the hell? Oh my god! Here's this kid again. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So in high school, what what would be one memory that kind of stood out, and maybe one time where you both were like, "Wow, maybe we can go on to the next level." I know mine. Go ahead, Jimmy. I want. I'm curious to see what you're going to say. Well, you know, like it took guys like you know to be honest, like seeing John go and play, and then once you see a guy that you you know you played with, and you kind of you know you. I kind of based my game after him, which was work on work on the fundamentals and strength and speed and agility, right? And so when I saw it, when I saw John go, and it wasn't just him going, I remember hearing um, just through the grapevine that John John's going to be dressing, John's going to be starting, and I was like, holy crap, you know, you know, if a guy like Johnny can go, and he was very good in our league, um, but if he can go and start, then we can. There, you know, what's what's to stop us? I think the only thing that can stop us is ourselves, right? So there wasn't one defining moment. I mean, like, you know what, when I got to grade 12 in high school, I, I was dummying kids, right? Like, I was yeah. rolling over kids. So I, I, I knew I was, you know, I, I had the ability to play. Yeah. Well, in hindsight for me, like, the Norfolk Bull victory in, in 1994, I talked about that at the induction. That was huge for me. I mean, probably the greatest sports moment of my career. Jimmy got to win the Dunsmore Cup in Quebec uh, his last year, or second last year, Jimmy, or last year at McGill. This is my second last year, yeah. Yeah, and I, I never got to do that. So that that championship in high school was really important to me as a team goal. But individually, I, I'm with Jim. Like, I didn't know. I had been to camps, uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd won some awards, but you don't really know when you're, like, as an offensive lineman type guy, as a lineman, you don't really know if you're any good. I didn't know if I was any good. I and I had no in, in high school. I had no standard to measure myself to. And in hindsight, yeah. I, I I set ridiculous goals for myself. And 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 I didn't even. But I didn't even know that much about football, if anything. Um, I remember on some drives, I'd say to myself on defense, I need to make every tackle on this drive, or it's unacceptable. Because I just had no idea that that. <laughs> that yeah, that that. <laughs> was a ridiculous goal to set for yourself and, and, and a lot of times I did it and I thought oh my god like but but then again in my mind I thought same thing as Jim I don't know when I, I'm compared to big city leagues and other places if I'm actually any good at this sport yeah. or if I'm just sort of a big fish in a little pond 
when I went to my recruiting trip at McGill though, and I and I saw everybody else, all the other recruits, and they saw me physically. I mean, I mean, Jimmy and I, when we got there, we blew everybody else out of the water, and uh-huh. partially, partially because of Iron Masters. Like yeah. at Iron Masters, I walk in, and I see some of those big guys. Remember Ollie, Jim, and oh yeah, big Chuck Thompson. Yeah, Chuck Thompson. Yeah. Chuck Thompson would throw five plates aside in the bench press and rep it out for five or six, and then here's me, 18 years old, doing three plates aside, thinking. I'm not even strong. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Guy. I got nothing. So then when Jimmy and I go into McGill and we had the mentorship of those guys and the goals, the physical goals that those guys set. Just toughness too, eh? Yeah, we said, oh, my God, we can do this. Not only can we do this, we're tougher than a lot of these kids. And we're, oh, yeah. we're, we're beyond all of them in terms of our strength and conditioning. So that, for me, was a big it was a game changer in terms of confidence. It's just... You know, understanding once I got in there at McGill that 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 I was beyond where where other people were because of the conditions I grew up in. Yeah, everybody doesn't matter the sport, but people from outside of Norfolk they they tend to like Norfolk kids, and and I know just talking to a couple of uh, uh, hockey scouts, and they would rather take a Norfolk kid over a kid from the city. Is that Attitude or is that work ethic? That's that's something that went a long way with you guys as kids too, didn't it? No folk like Norfolk, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, I, I think you know we're kind of we're somewhat rural still. Yeah, right. You, you know, um, we're not we don't really have a boom in economy, so you you have to be a fighter, you have to be tough, and you you have to be uh, willing to you know to go the extra mile to be successful around here. I think you just do, right? Well, exactly, exactly. I I know playing hockey that was always had to be the hardest worker on the ice. That, that's that was my attitude. Absolutely. Well, the, the thing that I've read about, I've done some reading on this, and because I'm that's what I do for fun, because I'm a nerd, <laughs> but. Uh, when you talk you about hi- talk about hiring practices and, and and how you recruit people, I mean when I look at in the colleges, you hear a lot of college coaches talk about you know kids that we recruit are typically from the inner city or from the country, one of the two. That's typically where they get kids from. Maybe that's changed now with strength and conditioning and uh, different programs that we're offering. The specialization, I'll yeah. Thing, I'll tell you one thing that I learned a lot from, and, and this is the farm culture. I mean, uh, my parents. Uh, I mean, my dad did well. He made good money. He was a dentist, but a lot of people don't know this. He's a sort of new money. My mom, too. My mom was a farmer. She worked, grew up on a farm, and my dad, my grandfather was a butcher. So they all had sort of farm mentalities that you have to put in the daily work, yeah. and you have to work hard, or you're not going to survive. So I think that's something that Norfolk athletes, even though a lot of kids aren't from Farms per se, but especially nowadays, they yeah. have that that, that mentality is, is is where we come from. Yep. Right. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. So that you know, and you know, anybody who owns private business, anybody who comes from a farm upgrading, they work hard. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, there's a funny story. I was playing uh, with the Bisons, and we had we had probably I want to say six to eight guys from Norfolk on the Brantford Bisons that year, which was you know, pretty high percentage for, you know, for a, a Brantford team. We went up to uh, uh, Toronto to play Toronto Thunder, right? And these guys are just like, 
they thought they were the bee's knees and were going to romp us. And this little Bison's team came in. We just thumped them. And afterwards, shaking hands with these guys, they're like, you country kids can straight up play. <laughs> right? and, and we're like, hey, man, you guys underestimate us. And we, you know, I, there is something to be said about that rural toughness. Like, absolutely. Like you said, the farm, the farm boys rub off on you one way or the other, or you grew up blue collar and you got to be hard nosed. And that's just that. That's for sure. So you guys move on to McGill, and then uh, you know what? Like John, your first year there, what were you? Kind of, what were your expectations? Well, I, I, I made my decision to go to school based on academic reputation. Yeah, I, I didn't even um, I didn't even think about football. Other schools in Ontario, there were numerous uh, opportunities to contribute more in my first year and. McGill, there was actually came in, there was 12 defensive linemen in front of me. And I, I dressed the odd game my first year. I didn't dress that much because we had such a veteran team. Uh, guys on that team, man, like, we, we came in at a really interesting time because so many guys went on to play in the CFL. I mean, J.P. Darth went on to play in the NFL as a snapper. And uh, we got to see a lot of neat, neat people. On that team, my first year was Matt Nickel strength and conditioning guru have you heard of matt daryl yeah yeah like uh, uh so the connections we made i made on that team was just unbelievable but at the time though i like part of the reason why i i, I didn't make an impact early that year is because i was like 222 pounds i for some reason i trimmed up that summer and got really really tiny and kind of thought well i better be fast because i'm not that big yeah, but adjust, but adjusting to the to the speed of the game in university. Oh my God, like that was a, I um, you know, I would probably say physically the biggest jump is high school to university, but mentally the biggest jump is university to pro. Yeah. So it really became a a, a, a year of of learning what I needed to do and, and what I needed to change my body into and 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 that all that that part of it so and plus the, the adjustment of going to a new city and i didn't know a single person there I, I i i literally didn't know a single person in montreal so yeah really mcgill became uh, uh the team and the and the coaches became my family there so you know that was really really helpful you know when jimmy showed up like man Jimmy had it easy. He had me there. No, I, I, I did. I did, and I didn't. Right. I also didn't get that year. I didn't get that year to develop like you. I got thrown to the wolves. I was starting as a defensive tackle my first year. And yeah, about, you were. I was about two hundred and forty pounds. Yeah. Right. And uh, it was it was a grind, man. Like I don't think you know. In hindsight, I was really ready to to be starting, but it was just you know like I came in and and physically I was ready and I, I picked up the game and. But, you know, like there were guys, you know, you look at the Laval team, there were two first, uh, first round draft picks on that offensive line that just thumped yeah. me. I, I remember <laughs> that, like just thumped me. And, and I, I, I you know, you, you, you just think back to that. And, and I, uh, after my first year, they actually, uh, they gave me the opportunity to play on the offensive line, right? Cause, you know, like we had a pretty strong D line and, I don't know. I t- we're ve- we're very short on the offensive line. They actually uh, they need they need some bodies over there, and I volunteered right. So the, that the rest of 
with that is history. But you know, in terms of the transition to McGill and why I went to McGill too, like mm-hmm. yeah, well, John McGill was my last stop on my recruiting tour. I went down to Indiana. I went down to you know schools in the states. I was pretty heavily recruited out of uh, high school slash the Bison's right. So mm-hmm. John actually uh, gave me a call and said, "Hey, why don't you come up here for a visit?" And I was kind of like, uh, "I don't know." And uh, he said, "Oh, just come, come check it out." So I went down <laughs> with a buddy of mine and. Uh, and we had we had a blast. We had an absolute blast. And in fact, that that um, that class, I think John A was a pretty strong group. We had Mike Mahoney, Pat Porco, um, Stockel, Rashad, Danny Ty, Danny Ty, right? Like we we had a pretty we had a pretty strong class there. And uh, yeah, you know what? And and we went on to do some pretty amazing things. But same thing, like John said, the team becomes your family immediately. And I yeah. was lucky in that John was there and. I was in, right? Like, even though you're a rookie and you got to go through, you know, everything, I, w- I was in because I was Johnny's buddy. Yeah. He told me Little Simple, I think, or something like that. <laughs> 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 we had a blast, man. It was great. So, a couple of memories. What, what are your fondest memories about McGill, guys? You're asking oh, some tough man. questions on the spot, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> fondest memories. Team memory I, was our, our victory, our Gunsmer Cup victory, for sure. Yeah. Um, individual was probably been first team all Canadian. And to do it together, that's well, good. My, my, my thing, I wasn't around for the Dunsmore Cup win. I got to watch from the stands after my first year in the CFL, so that was pretty cool. You <laughs> came down and hammered me, actually. You're I so did. mad. You're like, why didn't you guys do it when, when I was there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are jerks. You guys are pricks. Give me that <laughs> trophy. <laughs> that was funny, man. That was great. But you were a big part of that team nonetheless, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you like, hammered all of us into shape and kept us accountable. And yeah, that part felt good. But, but to me, my favorite moment was uh, in um, in 2000 when we went 5-0. and I mean, that was – and we were ranked seventh in the, in the nation. That was pretty exciting. Now, the, my one regret from that year is we lost to Waterloo. We shouldn't I have know. lost to that freaking game which was BS, and, and we totally just blew it ourselves. I don't know what it was, but but we should have been 6-0. Yeah. But um, and, and we, we, we got beat in the playoffs that year, but in the still, that was a bit of a – that was a highlight for me because, man, we played Ottawa. Like, Ottawa wouldn't at that time was Phil Cote. Or what was that his name? Phil Cote? Yeah, the quarterback. Yeah. Yep. They, they won the Vanier easily that year. We played him in the first round, lost like 53 to – Three or something ridiculous, but, but we were good. Fo- they did. We were a good football team, though. That year, our defensive line, three out of four of us played in the CFL. So that was pretty amazing, right? To just be a part of that that group there. And I think on that team, the 2000 team, Jimmy, correct me if I'm wrong. I think ten guys were either drafted or uh, played in the CFL, which is yeah, that, makes, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Like we went at, through the time; it was just nuts. Yeah. At the top, at, at the, one of the top academic schools in Canada, too, nonetheless, right? Think about that. That's it's pretty. It is pretty incredible. And then my last year, we were beating Laval. And then uh, to even think about how, with their resources, how we could beat Laval is unbelievable. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, like we're playing a team that goes to Florida for their training camp in the spring, and we these these tiny little academic kids from McGill. I mean, I remember my last year, we just pounded them. We pounded <laughs> them one game. Remember that home game gym when it was super hot? We pounded them. Oh, yeah. I think we, we beat them twice that year, didn't we? Oh, yeah. They were, we, 
How does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't happened since, I'll tell you that. That's, no, that's even, for sure. Even the year that we won the Dunsmore Cup, we lost to them the first game by, I think, three points. And then we went, we, I think we went 11-0 and 0 after that, something like that. Man. And uh, we never saw them again because Concordia beat them first round of the playoffs. And then we ended up and then, Concordia. And then individually, I mean, I remember uh, uh, not the awards or anything. But, I mean, those were fun. I mean, I kind of ended my McGill career with a torn ACL, so that was a bit of a fly in the ointment. Yeah. But, um, but um, it was when I was drafted in the first round, I remember Pascal Sorrell played for Hamilton. And he was one of those guys for Laval that just beat on Jimmy and I our first couple of years. Oh, yeah. Like, first team All-Canadian, probably. But now that he's a good friend of mine, great guy. But he uh, said to uh, a guy named uh, Jean-Francois Jancas. Yeah. Um, when he was with the Ticats, he goes, I don't know, John McDonald, he kind of sucks, doesn't he? <laughs> and then after, I had been playing against Jean-Francois at Laval. And I know JF told Pascal, he goes, no, like... This guy now is, oh my God! So, so that was kind of a, a highlight for me is going from getting beat on by Pascal and Andre Trudel at Laval to uh, to uh, going on to the Ticats and being able to play against them at par. Yeah. Same with Samir Shaheen. He played in the CFL for about eight years, and he used to beat on me just like like at practice when I was a rookie and, and then he came out to the Ticats remember that Jimmy that one year I just labeled Samir at, in one on ones were you there then <laughs> oh my yeah. god I hit him so hard I felt so bad but then I thought to myself you know what I took mine back in the day right. <laughs> <laughs> so now here I come <laughs> <laughs> and now with so the retri- C- retribution against those guys in the CFL that was fun <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and and now with the CFL kind of calling, uh, just what was the feeling that you were getting? Just like you said, the CFL wasn't really on your radar, and then all of a sudden, bam, first round. Well, I, I didn't really understand how it went at that point either. I knew guys had gone on, but what I didn't understand in, in hindsight, I, I should have known this, was that when I went into my first training camp, I really thought that I, 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 I there's a chance I wasn't going to make the team. Now, in hindsight, knowing the politics of sport, you know, being a first-round pick, if you get cut from the team, the whole organization's going to look terrible, right? So, <laughs> I, well, in reality, in reality, right, that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but I still played. I, I, I wanted a spot in the roster, and, and, and I think – a lot of people don't understand the, the politics of sport and the luck of it all. I mean, I got lucky, and Jimmy, in a lot of ways, didn't get lucky. Same type of player, but circumstances dictates sort of who gets the end. And my first year, um, starting to tackle Tom Hips, blew his Achilles, and he was done for the season. And the backup, Darren McField, ended up being the starter, and then I was the number two automatically. And those circumstances allowed me to, to sort of, that first year... Oh, my God, I can remember one moment my first year, the D-line coach. I had three different D-line coaches in my time there. He put his hands on my shoulders, looked me in the eye, and said, what you're doing is not good enough. You're not a pro-level athlete right now, and you need <laughs> oh, to make man. it better. You need to make it better, or you're going to be gone. And I thought, oh, my God, like, <laughs> what the <laughs> hell? Like, So working with the other guys on the team and 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 – 
and, and improving slowly. Like that was my the year of my most improvement. I remember a guy named Marcus Spencer, who was a great guy who we played with, a bit of a crazy guy, but I still liked him. My second year, he goes to me, he goes, Johnny Matt, God damn have you improved. He goes, when you first started here, you were getting called out all the time in meetings, and now every goddamn rep is perfect. <laughs> and that's the learning curve. And Jimmy knows it. That's the learning curve. That's that's what you got to go through. It's unbelievable, the mm-hmm. difference in terms of technical uh, technique at the pro level. Well, exactly. If you make a tiny mistake at the pro level, you're, you're getting gashed, right? Like, you know, they're going to go and score on you. I mean, I'm not trying to embellish here. That's really how it is. One person makes one mistake, that could be it. Yeah. And how about for you, Jim? Uh, now, McGill was over. You got the Dunsmore Cup, and then you you were you had your eye on that CFL, and well, what, and what you was know, going like, through your mind just through the process? I don't know. Like I, I just sounds cliche but I wanted to push myself to be the best that I could be it's just it's something that's inside I mean no matter what I'm doing whether it's education whether it's being a parent like I want to be the best that I can be yeah. and that comes with it, with its downside too right because you know if I'm not doing as well as I think you know I, I kind of get hard get down on myself right so but that being said with, with, with the, the CFL and, and uh, the process and everything leading up to it I, I was pretty excited I mean the CFL combine was fun Going to uh, compete against all the other, you know, guys that were, um, you know, kind of uh, being being scouted. And, um, you know, can I just be honest with you here? Yeah. CFL was the, the CFL was the least favorite part of my my football career. Yeah. Like absolutely, like not even not even close. I I think high school in my CFL years. <laughs> well, I'll I'll speak up for Jim here. I'll tell you something. I was. I was uh, in my four, third year when Jimmy came in, and um, Jim and Marwin Haig came in. Both of them were rookies. Marwin Haig, of course, was like kind of like wall of honor bound, and he played what twelve years in the league. I'll tell you, Daryl, same same physical stature, same height, same weight, same ability level when they came in, but the circumstances fell in Marwin's favor. I don't know if it's the politics of where he played. He played at Colorado, uh, but he was just destined to be on the roster. Yeah. And a lot of our Canadian kids, that's not the case. I mean, I had a coach say to me that year, 2004, that I didn't play at a very good school, so that's working against me. I said, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> exactly. So Jimmy came in, and I mean, the Canadian kids from Canadian University Ball sometimes are seen in the CFL as being the perennial backups and they don't contribute and sort of Jimmy fell into that and I was actually my last year I was put into that category as well I barely played my last year I played like a, a third of the games yeah so circumstances didn't fall in Jimmy's favor they fell in with my favor at the start of my CFL career and that's when I had some fun but by the end of my CFL career you know, my last year with the Thai Cats, at that point, I'd become really frustrated with the whole organization. Things were just falling apart. So, yeah, it's 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 a me 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 mentality once you start playing pro too, right? It's well, exactly. People. It's 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 a job for someone. Yeah, and um, it's not like a brotherhood like you'd see in college or, or in high school, and and that's when football started to kind of lose its luster for me, is because I, I love to play because of, you know the relationships and. I, you know, obviously I love pushing myself and stuff, but it was so egocentric that I was just, 
I was just like, you know, I didn't love it anymore. I just didn't love it. That totally makes that sense, though. That part of it, too. That part of it. Like, I, I talked about Marwin. Jimmy and I love Marwin. He's hilarious. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. But, but there's two sides of it. There's a friendship part, and then there's the there's the competition part where the coaches put you against the other guy. Yeah. And even though you're good buddies with them, you have to compete. And, and there's a small part and advocate for yourself as well. So that's where the joy and pro is lost. Yeah. Right? With that, right? So even though you leave with some positive relationships, there's still that that underlying tension that's always there in pro. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and, and, and it's actually, I tell the statistic, uh, from the beginning of my Ticat career to the end, I had to beat out 22 other players. There was no, and they would come in constantly, right, Jim? They're there third week. It's not just the draft picks, right? They'll pull guys in, like, weekly. New guy, new guy, new guy, new guy, new guy, right? That's crazy. The guys they pick up from, you know, their scouts in the States. Oh, we got to see this, you know, here's a guy that played at uh, Boise State or something, you know, like. Yeah. Constantly bringing in guys. So the, the, the teaching career became very, very attractive after going through that. Uh, <laughs> but what did uh, what did you guys take away just from all of these experiences? And, then, and now that we're going full circle, kind of back to the Hall of Recognition, and of course, both of you guys are great educators now. What did you learn most, or what did you take away from your football experiences, especially at McGill and and, and in the CFL? to what you're doing now and how you're trying to develop kids and be parents. You know what I mean? You want me to start, Jim? Or what do you want to do? I think for a second. What do you want to do? Well, I, I, my, my, my whole thing is, you know, you make mistakes, right? And, and when you're in the CFL, you make a mistake. You get called out, right? You know, or even, even in university, if you're making mistakes and you don't have a coach that's super supportive – right and that leadership isn't there it, it doesn't feel good and that, that's you know if i'm bringing that, that back to being a parent or being a, an educator it's you tell kids it's okay to make mistakes yeah Just, you have to learn from it right and and you know for me i had so many experiences where it left a bad taste in my mouth where i'm getting called out personally attacked i just will never do that to somebody yeah you know and that, that was a that was a big you know big takeaway and the other part is because i love playing football don't get me wrong you got to push yourself, you know, and you got to work hard to get something that you really want. Things don't come easy. Yeah. And kids need to know that. They have to have grit nowadays, you know. You hear that word entitlement. Entitlement. Kids are entitled, right? And, and what does that mean? It just means they expect things to come to them. And, and what we need to teach them is things don't just come to you. You have to work. You got to work for what you want. And you guys are perfect examples of that. My things that I took away, number one, <clears throat> this is simple, is, uh, you know, is always protect yourself. I mean, man, there's 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 people that will pretend to be your friends, and, and they may not be. I mean, there's people that pretend to be your supporter, but they may not be. So yeah. you have to make sure that whether you're on the field or whether you're working a job, you have to dot your I's and cross your T's because when the bullets start flying, you know, a lot of those people may disappear. Yeah. And that's something Ron Lancaster said to me one day. I got high load. I got high load playing Winnipeg. They were, but they were a dirty old line back then, back in 2003. And he pulled me aside and he said, you know what, John, I'm going to tell you something. He goes, 
If you need to do whatever you need to do out there to protect yourself, somebody tries to break your leg or hurt you, he goes, I will support you 100%. You grab that guy by the head and you whip him around. Don't let anybody do that to you. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'll even pay your fine. But you punch that guy right in the head if you need to. You protect yourself on that football field. And that, that's something that, I, that I've that i tried to pass on to other players. Not necessarily the dirty part of it, but always protect yourself. Yeah. Because if you don't do it, then there may not be people who will do it for you. And the other big lesson that I learned is that somebody's always watching. That's related to always protect yourself. Somebody is always watching you. Yep. Whether it be uh, at the bar on on the weekend or going to your car at night or uh, uh, in the staff room or wherever those relationships that you forge with people, you know, they're going to, those are the things that will, that will help you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, as long as they're positive, because you never know, you know, what kind of impression you're going to leave with somebody. So you always have to be on your guard. And I say that to young teachers when they're in the hallway, I go, you know what? These kids are always watching you Yeah. every moment of the day. And especially me as an indigenous athlete, yep. I take that even more to heart. Because I want the kids that I coach and I teach, especially the native kids, to see a native role model that's healthy, that's a good, that's a positive influence on everyone. They're watching. I got to be that person. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to kind of follow up on that for both of you guys, with with your accomplishments and w- with what you guys have done in the past and, and had a great time with it, now that you are educators, what... Uh, what are, you, what are you trying to pass on to the kids? And you guys are at different schools now, and uh, just uh, what are some of the what are some of the things that you're trying to pass on to those kids? Well, for me, it's the golden rule, man. You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. That's you know, that's really it's my guiding force, and uh, you know what I do. Obviously, being a vice principal, I see a lot of dis- you know a lot of discipline issues, and yeah, and uh, you know big thing you know is is we're all we're all people we're all just trying to keep our our heads above water and you know find a little bit of happiness and you know that doesn't work if you're not treating people well so i think you got to treat people uh the way you want to be treated exactly my mine's a little different um i teach at a very uh an inner city school paul and johnson uh yeah, we, we, we have great kids, but they're in tough situations, yep. very difficult circumstances. <clears throat> I mean, my wife just can't believe it, the stuff that these kids go through. Uh, what is it? This past weekend, I had a former student deliver a stillborn child. Um, I visit, Last night, I visited a kid of mine, former football player, who's now a, a quadriplegic in Hamilton, got yep. a car accident. Yep. And, you know... What I try to teach the kids is that, especially the, the kids at my school, is that, you know what, it's not fair. You are going to get a lot of that negative luck is going to fall on you, and it's inevitable when you're dealing with kids in poverty. It's inevitable when you're dealing with kids with poverty, but to empower them, to teach them to connect with people who are good influences for them, teaching them that that go out there and find those positive influences whether it's culture or whether it's you know uh, 
faith and, and God, whatever it is, you have to. What's going on here? You have to. Basically, you have to find positivity in your life, regardless of your circumstances. That's why I try to teach my kids here. That's perfect. That's a great way to end, guys. Uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, this was awesome. Daryl, you supported us the whole way through. Man, I, I was just going to say that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Go, Jimmy. No, you, you, no, even like in terms of reporters, when we were in university, you were top-notch, man. No, I really appreciate it. Find out what we're doing, and we really appreciate you, man, for sure. Oh, thanks a lot, man. Local sports media for life. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do with this podcast, I guess, eh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate the time. And uh, enjoy the rest of the summer, man. Thank you very much, man. We'll try. You too. <laughs> I will, definitely. Shoutouts. This week's big shoutout goes to the Simcoe Giants midget team. This group is on a tear this season, and they continue to roll last weekend, winning its third tournament of the season, this time in Ancaster. The Giants went undefeated, beating Mississauga, Ancaster, Waterdown, and Kitchener before coming from behind to beat Ancaster in the final 7-6. This team has won tournaments in Simcoe and in Brantford. Now they take aim at the OBA Midget A Championships in Brantford on August 16th to 18th. Good luck, guys. Well, friends, that's it for another week. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. Please remember to go to the Facebook page and like and share it so we can continue to grow Smart Sports Podcast. Until next time, I am Daryl Smart, and I'll talk to you later.